0: Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning, church. It's uh, it's strange to be here in an empty auditorium without the rest of you with me today. Um, and so I will say it is, it is a little strange. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and we're Excited that you're joining us in kind of these strange, interesting days is for the first time in 250 years, uh, we are having to refigure out how to do church. The Capital C Church as a whole is trying to figure out how to do this, uh, again, in the midst of, uh, all of these different things that are going down. And, and, uh, I'll be honest, I woke up, uh, yesterday and, uh, between, uh, different announcements that the CDC has recommended, things that President Trump has recommended, things that Governor Newsom has recommended. Uh, I woke up and I was anxious. I was fearful. Um, And and I don't share that necessarily for sympathy or anything like that. I share that because I want you to know that those emotions are okay emotions uh, to have. Uh, We all have these times in our lives, but as followers of Christ, we need to remember that, that amid this time, amid this entire situation that we find ourselves in, God is bigger and Christ is in control. Um, and so because of that, we aren't going to alter uh, our sermon series that we've been walking through. We've been walking through the gospel of John, and today we're going to be in John 10. So uh, as you're following along at home, I'd recommend uh, you grabbing your Bible and make sure you're following along with us. We're going to be in John 10. We're specifically starting in in verse 22. Um but I do want to say that, that beyond the fact that Christ is in control, Christ tells us that whoever is in his family, whoever is a part of his family will never be taken from his hand. None of us will ever be taken from the hand of God. I remember growing up, uh, it was just my mom, my dad, myself, and my brother, and we had a very strong sense of belonging. We had a very strong sense that, that we are a part of the Anderson family, and I can... I can think back that to, to different times where I would do something stupid, my brother would do something stupid, um, and we had an open conversation. We were able to have an open dialogue with our mom and with our dad because we knew that regardless of what it was that we did, uh, that they were never going to turn their backs on us. They were going never, never going to ask us to change our last name or anything like that. Uh, we simply got to have that open dialogue because uh, we belonged there. Uh, I would always be an Anderson regardless of the path that I took in life. And I felt safe in that. I felt secure in that. Uh, And I know for some people it may be different. Maybe you grew up and uh, your home life was anything but secure. Uh, Maybe you're like me, that you grew up and, you know, you had the kind of stereotypical family with a mom and dad and two and a half kids and all that stuff. And security really was just the name of the game for your entire family. Whatever... Whatever it is that that looks like for you, I want you to recognize that um, even if you are like me or if you're, you grew up in a family that wasn't secure, uh, that you have a belonging in the family of God. You have a belonging in Christ. And we are actually get a chance to, to talk about that starting in verse, in verse 22 today. So you can follow along on the screen. It says this, uh, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand and I and the father are one. So we start off our entire story Really, here by John giving us our setting. Specifically, the setting is in the temple courts. And this actually follows uh, what we talked about last weekend. Uh, And last weekend, we talked about uh, Jesus telling the Pharisees that he is the good shepherd. He tells the Pharisees that, hey, look, my sheep, they know my voice, they know who I am. And so this really is kind of a follow up to the beginning of that story. So if you haven't uh, read through the first part of John chapter 10, I'd encourage you to do so. But as it picks up here in 22, we recognize that Jesus was in the temple courts. Uh, Jesus had to have known at this point that if he went there and he began teaching, simply if he just be, even if he just went there, that something was going to get stirred up. There was going to be some sort of controversy happening because at this point uh, in Jesus' Jesus's ministry, he's had run-in after run-in with these Pharisees, and they hung out in and around the temple courts. And so Jesus simply being here, being there. He would have known that some sort of conversation was going to take place. So the Jews at this point, the Jews and the Pharisees, they start asking Jesus about when he is simply going to tell them uh, if he is the Messiah or not. They're just like, hey, look, you've been around, we get it, you've been kind of alluding to whether or not you're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Can you just tell us whether or not that you're Messiah? And and in classic Jesus fashion, he simply says, I did tell you, but you don't believe. I did show you even, but you don't believe. I showed you by my works. I showed you by, by who I was. Even those works I did in my Father's name, I showed you. I showed you what God was doing in and through me. So then he, he keeps going from there, and he, he tells them, look, my people, my sheep, he's alluding back to what he talked about in the first part of John 10, my sheep, the people who are following me, they hear me. The people who are aware of who I am, they can hear my voice. They recognize my directives. And not only can they hear my voice, they will never be taken from the safety of me and the Father. They're never going to be snatched from my hand. They're never going to be snatched from the hand of the Father. And this was not a welcome message for the Pharisees. This was not a welcome message from Jesus to these guys. He essentially has told them, look, if you are one of my people, you would know that I'm the Messiah, but clearly you don't belong to God, and it's clear you don't belong to God because you don't recognize who I am. These guys, these Pharisees, these Jews that they're talking about here, have dedicated their lives to honoring God. Granted, it was in a in a very deceitful way, in a uh, in a way that was very dishonest. Uh, but all they said that they stood for is leading the Jewish people in faith in the way that that they were telling the Jewish people how to live. And now there's this guy named Jesus who's showing up, and he's telling the masses, he's telling the Jewish masses at this point that these teachers, these leaders, these shepherds don't actually belong to God. And they don't belong to God because they don't recognize the Son as the Messiah. And so the masses would have seen that Jesus, they would have heard what Jesus is telling everyone. He's saying, look, you don't know me because you don't belong to God. This would have been a massive deal. This would have been a huge problem for the Pharisees because the Pharisees are all about control. The Pharisees are all about power. They want to make sure that this Cush lifestyle that they have at this point doesn't get threatened by anybody. And Jesus is threatening their way of life at this point. And so they would have been incredibly angry. And so obviously they get upset about this. And what do they do? They behave, of course, like petulant children would behave in this sense. So it picks up again in verse 31. It says this, it says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. He says, look, we are, or they say, look, we are going to kill you. We're done with you. And Jesus goes on to tell them, look, look, I've shown you, Many good works from the Father. I've turned water into wine. I've healed lepers. I've healed the lame and the sick. I've raised people from the dead. I healed a blind guy back in John 9, even with my spit. Like that, Like that. those are the things that I have done in the name of the Father. I've done nothing but represent God in the things I'm doing, and you are angry about it. That's what he's telling the Pharisees at this point. And they respond by telling him, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to kill you because of the things that you've done, but because of the words that you have spoken is what they say. And they say this, picking up verse in 37, it says this. Do not believe me unless I do the works of the Father. So look, regardless of what I say, you don't want to listen to my teaching? That's fine. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. He says, look, I came showing signs. I came representing God the Father. There is nothing I have done that does not represent God in some way, shape, or form. Everything I have done has been in the name of the Father. He says, even if you don't believe me, even if you don't believe the things that I have said, believe the works that have been done in the name of God, and they flat out refuse. At this point, Jesus escapes them yet again, uh, and, and from there, he went back to where John the Baptist was doing a whole bunch of baptizing at the time. So Jesus gets out of there as quickly as he can. The message itself this morning is actually pretty straightforward. It's a pretty straightforward message from the Gospel of John. And it's really what we've seen over the last couple weeks is the Pharisees are blaming Jesus of blasphemy, of, of saying things about God that aren't true. Uh, Jesus tells them, I'm telling the truth, and then they try and kill Jesus because of it. This is kind of the Pharisees' MO at this point. This is how they are operating from this point forward. My question today, though, is, is that how does a story like this, a story 2,000 years ago, a text from 2,000 years ago, Actually, how can we apply that to our modern-day context? And not just our modern-day context, but our very strange, stay-at-home, stay-away-from-each-other modern-day context. I mean, if you think about the history of the church, I mean, American church, anyway, is that the American church really in the last 40, 50 years has been all about, hey, Come to us, come to us, our doors are open, our children's ministry is fantastic, our youth group's incredible, your kids will have a great time. Come to where we are, come to where we are, come to where we are. And now, for the first time in probably the history of America, we are saying, don't come to a physical location for church. Don't show up. We don't want to see you here, and we don't want to see you here because we, want, we are very concerned about the health and the safety of all of the people in our community. And what's the best way to love some of those people? Maybe the best way to love people right now is to simply stay away from people, right? But how does it apply to that modern-day context? And some of these truths are going to apply regardless of the context we see. So the first one is this. When you're part of the family of God, you're secure. When you're part of the family of God, you're secure. There's a lot of fear in this season. And I'm not exempt from that. I already talked to you that that I've been fearful in the midst of this. I've been anxious in the midst of this whole thing. But as a Christian, I need to recognize that nothing, not a virus, not financial uh, uh, ruin, not marketplaces crashing, nothing like that can snatch me from the hand of God. We are securely placed in his family. And you're securely placed in his family as soon as you say yes to him, as soon as you have placed your faith in him. I have five kids, okay? And, and my five kids, they're kind of crazy because they're all boys and they're all under the age. They're 10 or younger right now. And so my poor wife, who is sitting at home trying to homeschool five kids, 10 to 3 years old, five boys, 10 to 3 years old, it's absolutely maddening sometimes. We love them to death, but there's a whole lot of testosterone coursing through every single one of their veins, Okay? And so because of that, I know that at some point, my boys are going to make poor decisions in their lives. Okay? They are cuter than yours, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be smarter than yours all of the time. Okay? And so I know that at some point, they are going to be make, make bad decisions the same way that, that when you were growing up, you made poor decisions, I made poor decisions when I was growing up. That is going to happen with my boys at some point. But I also want to recognize, and I also want my boys to be aware of the fact that regardless Of the dumb things that they do in their life, they will always be in Anderson. They will always be secure in our home. They will always have a place uh, for for Sarah and I to recognize that, hey, you are a part of this family. Regardless of the bad decisions that you make, you will always have a place here. And there would be a very, very difficult conversation if anybody ever tried to, to, to snatch any of those kids out of my hand. Because I love them and because those kids are a part of our family there is nothing that they could do or say where i would ever think to myself i wish those boys didn't have my last name why because i'm their part because i am their father and they're a part of my family the second thing that we can pull from this is that being a part of the family of god it isn't always popular you know, when I was uh, in college, there were plenty of times when I was mocked and ridiculed for my faith in God. And to be fair, a lot of times, those were actually my fault. I didn't necessarily represent God in the best way, or the conversations that I was having wasn't done. They weren't done in the most loving ways or anything like that. But but part of that simply comes with the territory. Part of not being popular, uh, because you're a part of the family of God, it, it, it should come with the territory because. What we are doing as Christians is we are speaking out against social norms oftentimes. When you put put absolute truth into a world that doesn't necessarily believe in absolute truth, difficult conversations tend to ensue. And so, like I said, for the first time in America, in the history of America, we're seeing the church close its physical locations. We're seeing the church close its doors in order to keep our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers safe. And that's a strange feeling. It is a strange feeling time to be leading a church, even to be a part of a church and trying to recognize what is the role of the church? What is my role as a Christian in all of this? But it's in times like these that our response needs to be a proclamation of Christ. And we have to recognize that sometimes that proclamation of Christ isn't going to make us the most popular people in the world. And that's okay. We also need to recognize, though, that the time is over where uh, we can simply invite our friends to church and professional Christians, pastors, will then lay out what it looks like for people to follow Jesus. That time has passed, at least for the time being that in order for the gospel to continue, it is no longer on my shoulders, it is no longer on Jeff's shoulders, it is no longer on on Kyle's shoulders or any ministerial staff or volunteers or anything like that. It rests solely on the shoulders of the believer, of the individual Christian. And that hasn't been true for a very long time in America. And so I want to be very, very clear in this, what should a Christian's response to this be? A Christian's response to this should be to continue to proclaim the gospel, you know? Something incredible always happens when the church has to go under the ground or the church or something incredible always happens when the church has to go underground or has to start meeting elsewhere or things change or whatever. The church begins to be innovative. The church begins to adapt to the things that are actually going on. Back in 1980, in, in communist China, uh, there was a, a negligible amount of people, statistically speaking. Uh, that were that would have called themselves Christians. A lot of people estimated somewhere between five and ten million people at that point in China would have called themselves a Christian. And and Ch- the Chinese government shut down religion completely and totally. Uh, they they said, "Look, no more Christianity. We are calling ourselves an atheist government." Um, and so they they shut its doors to any sort of missionaries or anybody who was proclaiming the gospel of Christ outwardly, and they shut it down for almost 30 years, and so sometime in that span, the gospel completely and totally exploded, and so when the, the Chinese government finally lifted that ban, and people went in and said, hey, how many, how many Christians are, do, are we actually going to find in China, now that Christianity in, its, in itself has been shut down for a long time, they were blown away by what happened, because when they went in, it wasn't 10 million people, it wasn't 5 million people, Best estimates today is, is that Christianity, Christianity in China has been spread to over 115 million people. Why? Because you can't quarantine the gospel. That's why. And that needs to be our takeaway today. Is that, look, if you're a part of the family of God, Perfect. You are firm. You are going to be held tightly within the family of God. God is not going to let you go. Nobody is going to snatch you from his hands. Nothing is going to snatch you from his hands. You are part of the family of God. Nothing is going to change. But being a part of the family of God, you need to recognize your responsibility in this. And your responsibility in this is going to be to spread and proclaim the gospel. The ironic thing is, is that this actually shouldn't change. You know, we're sitting here and we're talking about this kind of being a a bigger deal. Hey, you need to go talk to your neighbors now. You are the one responsible. You can't just invite them to church. This has always been the mandate. This has always been the mandate from Christ from the very beginning. Over and over and over again in different stories that we see, Jesus consistently tells people, go home, go home. He doesn't say come to church. He doesn't say come to a church service. He doesn't say go talk to a pastor. He says, hey, go home. Go home and tell your people what I have done. And as they go home and they tell their people, it consistently, shows, it consistently shows up that more and more people come to faith in Christ because of your influence in people's lives, because of their influence in people's lives, not because of pastors, not because of a physical location, not because of the way that we've done church in America for the last 250 years, simply because God is in the business of transforming lives. And you, as a follower of Christ, have had your life transformed. It's your responsibility now, in a responsible way, in a safe way, to make sure that you are still indeed proclaiming that gospel to people who are in your life. That doesn't change. The mandate doesn't change. We may do things differently. You may not be sitting in our auditorium this morning. But that being said, the church will go on. The church will continue. The church will prevail, prevail because you can't quarantine the gospel. We're in very uncertain and very crazy times, and we want you to know that the church will stand. God will still hold you tight. And things may get more difficult before they get better, but in these seasons, it is most important for us to love God, for us to love people, and for us to serve the world. Why don't you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we, uh, first and foremost, we, we thank you for technology. And we thank you even for the ability for uh, us to be able to learn your word, hear about your word, hear about what you're doing in America via the Internet. So, God, I thank you first and foremost for that. But, Father, I also pray for uh, all of those people who who are being affected by the coronavirus, first and foremost for those who are sick and showing signs and symptoms and people's loved ones who have been lost maybe because of this, God, we recognize that uh, it is a strange time. But God, we place our hope, we place our faith in you. That if we try to place it in governments, we try to place it in schools, we try to place it in wherever, we recognize now, more than ever, that that hope is misplaced. That our hope is not in those places, those ho- that hope is simply in you and your son. And thank you for allowing those who have called you by name to be accepted into your family. And God, in the same way that we end every service, and for those of you listening online, we end every service by praying the ABCs. If you want to become part of the family of God, if you say, I want want to be in his family, I want to make sure that I'm not going to get snatched up by anything else, that I want that hope, I want that peace that surpasses understanding, you can pray along with me at home. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that I mess up all the time, my life's a mess, I'm making poor decisions, I'm not honoring God with my life, and I admit that I'm a sinner, but B, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to the cross to die for me, that he is indeed the Messiah. And I recognize that. And so I believe you sent him to the cross to to pay for my sins so that I could be with you forever and see I would choose to follow you every single day. And God, we recognize that's oftentimes one of the most difficult things for us to come to terms with is, is choosing to follow you every single day. But God, that we would choose to follow you in a world that looks very different today than it did two weeks ago. I'm sure in a world that will look very different even a week from now. So God, we place our fears with you. We place our anxiety with you. That you would turn those fears to hope. That you would turn that anxiety to peace. And that we would walk with you every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your Son's name we.